seated, this is our prayer, that through the preaching of God's Word that we would see His glory and that we would believe upon Him. Thank you, praise team. If you do not have a sermon outline, please lift your hand, and these gentlemen will be glad to give you one. You will need one this morning as we come to our study in 1 John once again, and we look at this glorious passage that moves us on in 1 John chapter 1. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to 1 John. We'll be looking at a few different passages there, uh, some that will not be on the outline, so I want to invite you to go ahead and turn there now. We come to um, this little letter that offers so very much to us. If you're new to us this morning, just two weeks ago, uh, we started a expository study of this. The word expository is important. It simply means this, to expose. It means to bring out and to reveal what is in the text. So when we study the Bible, we want to expose its meaning. We want to expose what it's saying. And so any real study of the Bible looks intently at the text and seeks to understand what God has for us. The little letter of 1 John is a powerful and timely letter, as all of Scripture is for us, but this is a powerful letter that we can apply to our lives in 2021, written 2,000 years ago for us. Well, last Sunday, we looked at the never-changing gospel of Jesus Christ. This little letter begins, and it begins much like the Gospel of John, and it also begins much like Genesis. Genesis 1, the beginning of the Bible, that talks about the beginning. And here John places Christ at the very beginning. Well, this morning we're going to look, and we're going to see what he says about the nature of God. As we come to the God of light, the title of this message is The God of Light, with no darkness of, at all. Well, let's review for those of us that are new to us this morning, maybe joining us online or here. Notice at the top, we review. The author. Who is the author of this? It's John the disciple. It's not John the Baptist. Those are two different Johns. This is John the disciple and an apostle. Apostle means sent out one. But here we, the emphasis is he's an eyewitness. He had been with Jesus. He had heard, as we saw last week, Jesus' voice. He had gazed upon Jesus. He knew who Jesus was. And in fact, he had touched Jesus. He had held Christ. And I, I often think about that, that when they were taking the body of the Lord Jesus off of the cross, uh, John was there uh, with Nicodemus and others. And I just imagine him as being perhaps one of the ones that carried the body of the Lord to the sepulcher, to the tomb. So this is an eyewitness who knew well. He was the youngest disciple who became what? The oldest. And that simply means that the other disciples had been martyred by the time he is old, and he lived to be very old. In fact, he wrote this some 60 years after the Lord Jesus had ascended to the Father. So he had been a church leader for 60 years, and by now he's an old man when he writes this letter. His message is very pastoral or gentle, but it's also polemical, which means it's firm. He's preaching for some things and encouragement, but he's also preaching against some things. That's what it means to be polemical, that you are writing a polemic or you're causing a political, uh, a, not political, polemical statement to be made, firm and against something. The letter 
is a, excuse me, the genre is a letter, and it's written to all of the churches um, that are in Asia Minor that's there in modern-day Turkey where John was. But I've added a new line here for you this morning. I want you to notice this. And for those of you that are studying, our women's Bible studies are studying this. Some of our guys are studying 1 John a little bit. And we're going to study this over the next few months. I want you to notice this. This writing style is very interesting. It's not straightforward like several of the others. John writes in an artistic way. He is repeating some things, and it's not mere repetition, but it's interwoven. Like even this morning, the text for this Sunday and next Sunday, there are two themes that, like the braid of a rope, are interwoven, and they're said over and over again, well, they're said three times, but in an interwoven way. And John does that beautifully under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He does that beautifully, and it's for our benefit. The letter of 1 John is also layered. There's layers of, it's almost like peeling back the layers of an onion. Um, As you go, it's layered in its intensity. And so it is, fill this in, it is progressively revealing something. It's progressively dealing with the issues. So that as we go through this, we're going to say, well, wait a minute, didn't he already deal with that? And we said, yes, he did, but here we see another aspect of it. So he progressively reveals. If you don't understand that, the book of 1 John can be a little confusing to you, and it can be confusing as to how and what the author's intentions are. Well, let's remember the setting. The setting is it's a critical transition at the end of all the eyewitnesses. All the eyewitnesses of Jesus are dying out. John is the last one, and so the last one who's an apostle. And so this is a key time for the church to have confidence in who Jesus was and the doctrines that God has for us. So God is using that. There were doctrinal problems in the church. This is very important for you to understand. You will not understand 1 John if you do not understand the pressures that were coming against the church doctrinally, because John is dealing with them, and we're going to see that even this morning. So, as always, false teachers were rising up, and um, I want you to, we've talked about that in many, many cases, much of the New Testament is dealing with the devil's lies, but I want you to notice this word. These these are dealing with early Gnostics, um, where you, the the word Gnosticism is the idea of knowledge, and it was a, these were the early philosophies that were starting to be presented, these wouldn't really become a problem until the second century. So this is an early on problem that had started creeping into the church, the devil's lies about the nature of that which is flesh and that which is spirit. And notice this and fill it in. The flesh is considered evil under Gnosticism, and the spirit is considered good. And so there were doubts about who Jesus really was. Was he really in the flesh? The Gnostics were saying, ah, not really. Or the Spirit of God came and dealt with the Lord Jesus, the idea of the the body of Christ. But when he went to the cross, the Spirit left. So the Spirit of God was not upon him when he went to the cross. Um, and it, I mean, there was, there's all kinds of things that were starting to creep in in their thinking and doubting aspects of the gospel that were critical, that were critical to our salvation. And so that's what Satan does. 
He slowly, philosophically creeps in. Part of the idea of Gnosticism was it was this esoteric belief that only the elite spiritual people could really know God, could really be with God. And part of this idea of the flesh, if the flesh was evil, then you, they would just say, well, what you do in the flesh doesn't really matter. What matters is the intention of your heart. Have you ever heard that with somebody where they say, oh, that's not really him. He has a good heart. I know he said that, and I know he did that, but he didn't mean it. I had a dog bite me one time. Um, part of the reason sometimes I'm fearful of large dogs, and it, it's a weird thing. I usually aren't, am, am not fearful of very much, but man, a big dog can scare me to death sometimes, and it has to do with being bit a couple of times. But I remember one day after a Doberman pincher locked onto my arm over here by the Hollywood water plant, um, I remember the owner said, he didn't mean that. <laughs> I'm like, oh, tell that to my arm. Tell that to him. You know what the dog's name was? Flashback. <laughs> he was a rescue that was violent. And um, I would flashback, had a flashback and bit me. So literally true. Um, but, you know, this idea that what you do in the flesh doesn't really matter because of the Spirit. Well, we see John dealing with that in this letter. We see people who think it's okay to not, not believe, to not obey, to hate their brother, all kinds of other things that we'll see here that, you know, that as long as your heart is right, as long as your spirit is right, then that's, then that's okay. This is, this is a lie from the pit. It's, it's multi-layered. We'll deal with that more as we go. But notice this, that the new heresies were circulating around Asia Minor. And there was, circle this first one here, confusion over the nature of God. Circle that one, because we're going to deal with that this morning as, as John deals with it right away. Confusion over the nature of God. And there was denying that Jesus was Messiah, denying that Jesus was really the Son of God, denying that Jesus had actually come in the flesh, denying Jesus' death was necessary for the forgiveness of sins. So there were doctrinal problems that were very, very serious that had to be dealt with. Otherwise, the gospel would be lost. Look, notice the next part here. Not only doctrinal problems, but also behavioral problems. And by the way, that's what happens. When you believe the wrong thing, you do the wrong thing. Your, your actions ultimately come out of your beliefs. And so here we see that there were behavioral problems. What starts to happen is the people started loving the world and loving the flesh and loving the things that are here and now instead of loving God and others. So the temporal became more important than the eternal. And so a good pastor has to deal with these things. And that's what our next section is this morning. The Apostle John is a protecting pastor. Fill that in. He's a protecting pastor. And that's what a pastor, a true pastor, does. We see him doing that here. He's writing to help protect the church from falsehood. Now, the word pastor is interesting. We, um, you, you kind of wonder what that word, it's a Greek word, poimen, and poimen means shepherd. It literally means shepherd. And so, um, it's, a, it's a very interesting thing uh, that when you think of a pastor, you should be thinking about someone who, who perhaps takes care of livestock. Now, we're not calling you livestock. Um, uh, and just by the way, I'm, I'm a member of the church too. I'm, a, I'm part of the flock as well. 
Um, but as we, we see this, there is a role that a pastor has in that. When you think about the role of a shepherd, um, and we think about the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, he does what? He leads me beside quiet waters. He leads me to where there's food. He leads me to where there's safety. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So his rod and his staff, it comforts him. The, 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 the shepherd would use the staff to rescue a sheep, a sheep that is overturned, a sheep that is in a crevice, a sheep that is, has gotten to where he can't get it. The pastor would use, the shepherd would use the staff for that, would hook him and bring him back. But the, the pastor would also, the shepherd would also use the rod to keep away dangerous animals, to keep away that which would come, would come after perhaps a wolf, come after one that would, you, we see uh, the shepherd David who would become King David and um, how he would protect the sheep even from dangerous animals. So we see this idea. The apostle Paul talks about this. This is important for us to see for not only the gospel, for the first letter of John, but also for our church in any true church. The Apostle Paul alerts the pastors at Ephesus. So he's passing through and he alerts them of their duty. I want you to see what he says here in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Look what it says. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. Put above yourselves the pastors. This is, this is written to the pastors. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to take care for the church of God, which he, or, which he obtained with his own blood. Verse 29, I know that after my departure, look what's going to come, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, verse 30, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. So he was admonishing everyone. He's calling everyone, fervently calling everyone to hold on to the truth and to not be lost in the truth, knowing that false prophets, false teachers will come in and seek to hurt the church. Notice the next example here. The Bible has other examples of this. The very last verses of Paul's letter to young Pastor Timothy end with a warning. So here's the very last verses of 1 Timothy chapter 6. Look what it says. O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. What's the deposit entrusted to him? That's the gospel. Guard the deposit entrusted to him. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of which is falsely called knowledge. So we see that that, that, that issue of kenosis or gnosis is starting to come in to the church. Look what it says. For by, it, for by professing it, some have, underline that, swerved from the faith. My friends... A pastor is seeking to help a body of people not to swerve from the faith. 
Um, you need to be intent on not swerving from the faith. When you get away from the church family and you're out there on your own, when you start clicking on all the wrong stuff about solving problems in your life, when you start listening to the voices of the world counsel you about trouble and struggle in your life, my friends, that is, it, it's very possible to swerve from the faith. God has called, God knows how to deal with our issues. He can deal with our issues far better than the world can. The world offers quick fixes that really are ultimate deceptions very, very often. And so I want to encourage us to notice here that it's possible to swerve from the faith. We're called not to swerve from the faith. Look at the third one that is here. The apostle John is constantly concerned that the church stay in the truth. Stay in the truth, abide in the truth, dwell in the truth. In fact, look at 2 John. This is not 1 John, but look at 2 John. That's the next letter that is there. And notice the beginning here. It says, the elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children. Now, that either could be the church or that could be an influential, wonderful woman that was in the life of the church. I tend to think it's talking about the church. There's other places where we talk about the church and refer to it in the feminine, but the elder, that's John, to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth because of, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Do you think he's concerned about the truth? He's very, very concerned about the truth. He is very, very desirous of the truth. And so John writes this letter, 1 John, and it's a loaded letter. Fill that in. It is loaded with correction. If you don't know the circumstance that are around the letter, then you can't realize what all he's dealing with. But because we're going to study it that way, you're going to see that it's a loaded letter. And it's full of correction and warning. Now, it's also full of encouragement, but it's full of correction and warning. Now, as John often does in his artistic way, he contrasts things. The Gospel of John, he does that, and here in this letter, he does that as well. This is part of his artistic way. You will notice the theme of light versus darkness, and we're going to see that this morning, light versus darkness, truth versus lies. We'll see that next Sunday. Genuine versus that which is fake, sinful versus that which is forgiven. And that's an interesting one. Sinful versus forgiven. And also love versus hate. Um, you can see that this applies to our lives as well. Well, let's look and see the text that we're going to be studying over the next couple of weeks. And it's right here in the box on the top of the page. This is the next few verses from where we studied last Sunday. Notice the box on the top of the page and I'll read it. We're going to focus really on the first verses, verse, verse, but we will read all of it this morning. First John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, 
cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from, what does it say? All unrighteousness. Now, that verse right there, verse 9, is perhaps the most known verse in 1 John. That verse is probably the most quoted verse in, in 1 John. It's one of the greatest promises of the Bible. I mean, when you think about verse 9, look what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is where the door of heaven opens, is forgiveness. Look at verse 10. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Do you, do you notice here as you look at these verses, just, just from an f- initial reading, do you notice how it weaves back and forth with similar concept, similar theme? The idea of denying the truth or, or holding on to the truth, the idea of making a statement that's false versus a statement that is correct, uh, living out the gospel versus not living out the gospel. He says it three different ways, and he weaves it together in a beautiful way as we go. Well, the first thing that we notice here is, number one, last week in verses one through four, this opens the letter with the reality and the centrality of Christ. That's what we looked at last week, that Jesus was real and he is center. And John doesn't doesn't hesitate one bit. There's no, hey, hope y'all are doing great, love you, can't wait to see you again. There's none of that. It says, in the beginning, the message that we've heard was the Word, and the Word is God, and this is the picture. So he's banking off of the Gospel of John, going into the first John letter, showing us the reality of Christ. He says this, and I want you to see these words. Notice this on the screen in front of you. That which we have, you remember in verse 1, that which we have heard, that which we have seen, that which we looked upon, that's the word gazed, and this is only on the screen, and that which we have what? Touched with our hands or held. And concerning the word of life, look at verse 2. The life was made manifested, manifested, and we have seen it and testify to it. So he's saying, you see number one there, in verses one through four, he opens the letter saying that Jesus was real and Jesus is center. But now we come, this week, we start with verse five. He declares Christ's glorious message in utter simplicity. In fact, some people have said that verse five And the statement that he makes in verse 5 is perhaps the theme of the whole letter. Perhaps the theme of the whole letter. The the bottom line of the whole letter. Well, let's look and see what that theme is. Notice number 2, fill this in. The overarching message is that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And that's a very important, and as we're going to see here, that is a very profound statement. We need to think about what is it you say, okay, God is light, like a light bulb, or like light coming into my eyes. What does that mean? What is the meaning behind that? Well, I want us to look and see what the Bible says 
about God being like, this is foundational to the whole letter. And listen, this isn't just foundational to you understanding a little letter in the back of the New Testament. This is a foundational thought and understanding and basis for your entire theology, everything that you know and believe about God. This is critically important that we see and understand that God is light. And there's so many different realms in which this applies. The physical to the spiritual, even to the philosophical as we understand in theological. Notice here with me, letter A, we're going to see this phrase, that God is light. That's the first part of it. He declares that God is light. So notice this, underneath that, throughout Scripture we see God and His glory described in terms of light. In Exodus 13, we see that the Lord leads Israel through the wilderness with a pillar of fire so that they could see at night. A pillar of fire for light, and it says, so they could see. So God brings vision through this. He brings light. Notice in Exodus 34, when Moses had been with the Lord, Moses' face glowed with light after meeting with God. You see, this was a sign to the people that he had met with God. I mean, here's the idea. His face literally beamed light. It was giving off light. It shone. Now, you know, have you ever gotten a good sunburn before on vacation? You feel like your face is beaming with light, right? It's hot. Um, Our nieces came from California, and we said... Um, Damaris, Stella, put on lots of sunscreen. We're going to be out in the boat with Didi and Papa, and it's going to, you know, it's going to be bright. And they're like, oh, no, California sun, same thing. California sun, same thing. And I'm like, girls, you ought to put on more sunscreen. You ought to put on more. And I said, okay, I'm just the uncle. I'm not going to say anything else. Well, the next day, they were little lobsters. I mean, they were just bright red. And, um, you know, we, we kind of think about that. But that's, that's not what this is. This isn't talking about sunburn. Some of you have seen the beauty of a bride coming down the aisle here, and she's beaming with, with joy, and uh, happiness is, is glorious in that, so happy and excited for the day has finally come for her wedding, and that's a, that's a wonderful idea, but that's, that's not what this is talking about. The way we study and we see what it says in Exodus, Moses' face actually gave off light. He had been with the Lord. Notice this. The Lord in Psalm 104 says, the Lord is clothed in light as with a cloak. So he's clothed in light. Notice Psalm 27, David writes, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my light. In whom shall I be afraid? But he is called my light. And then we see Jesus when he was transfigured in Matthew chapter 17 that Jesus, his face shone like the sun. His clothes were, were turned bright white in dazzling appearance, and his face shone like the sun. So the idea of light is associated very closely with God. Look at the next one that is here. Paul summarizes the importance of God as light. Underline that in that little point there. God as light to believers. I want you to see this. Paul is writing 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Look what he says in verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded 
the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing, look what it is, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. So blindness versus sight. And this is who is the image of God. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Verse 6. For God who said... Let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So as often in Scripture we see, there is a physical representation of a spiritual truth and reality. God does that all the time. He does that in general creation, and he does that in special revelation. He shows us one thing physically and shows us the application of it spiritually. And here we see that the light shines out of the darkness into our hearts and bringing us to where we can see the eternal truths of who Jesus is. This saves us. Look at the last bullet point there between those two passages of Scripture. John's gospel, so not John's letter, but John's gospel begins by equating light and life. So how important is light to the image and person and work of God? It is that. Notice here in John chapter 1 and verse 13, these are the opening words of his gospel. Sounds a little similar to our letter that we're studying, but here back in the gospel of John, look what it says. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Verse 4, look what it says. In him was what? Life. And then let's read the next part of that out loud. And the life was the light of men. Let's read verse 4 again. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. So this was the light that men needed in the darkness. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. Notice there, who is that? John the Baptist. That's not John the writer here. John, John is naming, John doesn't name himself in the letter. John is naming his friend, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, that there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. Verse 8, he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. Look at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Let's all read verse 12 out loud. So verse verse 11 says, He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. Read verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Verse 13. And notice how they were born. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but the will of who? Of who God. 
You see, this is the very clear work that our salvation is from God. Well, life and light are equated. And we're going to see this, and this is an important theme for us throughout the letter. Well, let's go to the next page. John gets this. He gets the idea that God is light from Jesus' own words. So fill that in. This comes from Jesus' own words. So up there in the, on our main page and our main text is, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light. Where does that come from? It's the message of Jesus. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am, underline it, I am what? The light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have, underline it, the light of life. So the theme, the idea that God is light is very, very important to our understanding and our perception of who God is and his essence, both physically and spiritually. Now, what is very interesting about a study of light is that light is not fully understood by human beings. In fact, there's a lot of things about light that we understand that we're able to use, but there's a lot of things about light that we don't know. I remember that when I was in high school, I went up to see my brother at Georgia, in Atlanta, Georgia, and he was a student at Georgia Tech, um, Georgia Institute of Technology there in, in Atlanta. And he said, hey, you want to go to class with me? And here I am, you know, a 10th grader. And he goes, come on, you'll, you'll like it. I'm gonna go to, we're going to go to a, a, a class, a physics class. And so we go to the physics class, and there's 300 people in the room. And the subject of the day is, is light a particle or is light a wave? Which is it, a particle or a wave? And it's very interesting how you begin to delve into that study and all of the interesting perspectives and discussion around that very issue. In some ways, it behaves like a particle. In other ways, it behaves like a wave. And there's a lot of, we use light and we use it in very in-depth ways, but there's a bunch of things about light that continue to astound us, that are a mystery we don't fully understand. Well, in a similar way, when we think about the issue of this, that God's Word says that He is light and that He has a great purpose in all of this. And we're going to see what does that mean in just a minute. But I want us to catch the last part of this phrase in verse 5. Look at verse 5 in the box on the top of the page. It says, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light. And now look what it says. And in him is no darkness at all. Now, there's so many different passages we could look at, but I just want you to see a few of them. Letter B is that God is no darkness. In God is no darkness. He has no darkness. When we talk about the spiritual nature of this, look at Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. The rock, his work is perfect. This is the song of Moses. He's saying the rock, the work is perfect. His work is perfect. For all his ways are just, a God of faithfulness. And what does it say there? And without injustice, righteous and upright is he. The character of God is that 
of pure light and pure justice, pure righteousness. Look at 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31, and it's repeated in Psalm 18, verse 30. Look what it says. As for God, his way is perfect. The, Lord, the word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. He is perfect. There's no darkness. There's no evil in him. Look at Job 36 and verse 23. Therefore, listen to me, O men of understanding. Far be it from God to do wrong. I love that. It's another way to say it. Far be it from God to do wrong and from the Almighty to act unjustly. Psalm 139 is that beautiful psalm about how God creates us and he makes us in our mother's womb and we cannot escape him. We cannot get away from him. He is everywhere with us. And I love what it says about this issue of God in light and darkness. Look at Psalm 139 verse 11. If I say surely the darkness will cover me and the light about me be night, even the darkness is what? Not dark to you. The night is as bright it is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. You see, darkness is the absence of light, and when God shows up, there's light. That's, the, that's what God does, and everywhere he is is light. So there is no darkness in him. And then when we look at the spiritual aspect of this, look at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 8. It says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord, God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. There is no darkness. There is no sin. There is no impurity in him. So when we go over to the spiritual realm of saying that, we look at see that he is perfect in his holiness. Now, what does all of this mean? Why would John write these things to us? Number one, God is the only source of true light. And we're going to say, what do we mean by that? God is the only source of true light. Well, letter A, the light of his word. This is truth and all truth. That God is the source of truth. Psalm 119, thy word, what does it say? Is a what? Lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. You see, this is his word. This is his truth that guides us. But also, not only in his word and truth, but God is true light. Look at letter B. Is the light of his virtue. This is his morality. That His morality. It's not only that he's true, but he's right, and he's just, and he's pure. And this is his beauty in his holiness, in his perfectness. And so when we talk about God being in his true light, it is both his word that gives light to our lives and that which guides us in truth versus falsehood, but it's also good versus evil, his virtue. Look at number two. Very important. But God bestows light on believers in the form of eternal life, he gives us light in the form of eternal life. That's what we, light and life. These are the two. Through his son, Jesus Christ, who was the light of God in the flesh. That's who Jesus was. He is the light of God 
in the flesh. So you, you want to know who Jesus is? He's God in the flesh. This is the light. This is why Jesus said to us, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. I am the one who comes to show and bring light to a dark and fallen world. So if you want the true source of light, you have to go through Christ. That's who he is. Look at number three. If someone claims to have the light of God, that's eternal life through Christ, then they will be devoted to those two things. They will be devoted to God's word, which is truth, and they will be devoted to God's virtue, which is his morality, true morality. So, John is saying to us that God is light and in him is no darkness, and so anyone who claims him through Jesus Christ that has the light of life, they are going to reflect that. They are going to show that by what they are devoted to. See, here's the problem that was in John's day. There were many who said, oh, I know the light. I have God. I am spiritual. Look at me. I'm here with you. And I am spiritual. And I, I maybe even can preach. And I can teach. And I can... I'm, but then you come and you look at their life. And their life was not reflecting the truth that they claimed to believe. And their excuse was, oh, well, spiritually, I am the light. But physically, that doesn't really matter. This flesh is always evil. So you can act however you want. You can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want sexually, or you can do whatever you want in the, the hatred of your heart toward the people that are other flesh and blood. Here doesn't really matter. What John is saying is, oh, no. God is light, and in him is no darkness. And as we will see, as we already read, verses, look up there at the top of the page, verses 6 all the way down through verses 10, he starts to say that that will be known. Whether you know God is light will be shown by the life you live. It's either going to reveal that you know God is the light, or it's going to reveal that you are lying about that or that you are deceived about that. It says here that they deceive. Look at verse 8. If we say, look at verse 8 in the box. If we say that we have no sin, we do what? We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So number three is very important. If someone claims to have the light of God, that's eternal life through Christ, then they will be devoted to God's word, truth, and God's virtue, which is morality. Number four, this, and that's talking about number three, this is the test of true faith versus fake faith. This is the test of true faith versus fake faith. Now, I want you to notice with me the screen in front of you. I want you to see this passage of Scripture. Yes, you can fold over your sheet. Go right ahead. Everybody go ahead and fold up your stuff. Go ahead and do it. You're going to do it anyway. Go ahead and do it. Just go ahead and do it. And then I'd like to ask you to go ahead and stand with me. I want you to see this passage of Scripture. 
If God is the light, it's going to be proven by the way you live. And we'll study this passage in a few weeks, but I want you to notice this. 1 John chapter 2, in verse 9 and 10 and 11, look what it says. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. Verse 11. But whoever hates his brother, do you see it repeating? Do you see it winding back and forth? Do you see it being woven? Verse 11, but whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Brothers and sisters, we need to embrace very, very deeply over these coming weeks that God calls us to evaluate what we believe and the way we live. And do those two things match? Amen? Father, I pray that this morning that we would see that you are the light of the world and that you came shining into the darkness through your truth and, Lord, through your great presence that we might live. Lord, your justice, your morality that went to the cross and laid down your life for us. And you call us, Lord, to follow in laying down our lives, following in obedience. Lord, I pray that you would help us over these days in this next week as we think about mon tomorrow, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, as we think about 1 John, that we would be considering, Lord, does my life reflect the light of God? Does my speech, does the way I talk, my vocabulary reflect you? Are the things that I'm devoted to, the things that I work toward, is this reflect you? Lord, my relationships, do the relationships I have, the people that are in my life, do I reflect the light of God, the love of God? Oh Lord, I pray that you would do a great work in our hearts. I pray that we would become more like Jesus, that we would grow in conformity to your Son, God, and that you would be pleased Lord, as we follow hard after what the things that you have said, in the glorious name of Christ we pray, amen.